Well, if you're glad to be in church, somebody put your hands together today. Let's go. You know, before we jump into any message, we always like to give a great big welcome and hello to our extended family in the greater Washington, D.C. area. And this is why we do that. We are uh, one church in two locations. So we have our beautiful church home here in the south metro Atlanta area and then 702 miles north from here. Just outside of Washington, D.C. is our Go Church family. They're tuning in by live stream today. Come on, can you welcome Go Church? Come on, let them know you love them. Come on, make enough noise. They can hear you from here to there. Let's go. Go Church, I know you're yelling back at us, and so we love you, and we're glad to be connected as one family. We also want to say hello to all of those watching online. Here's what's so great. Every week, our online viewership is growing and growing and growing, and if you have any downtime uh, throughout your week, jump back and watch the replay, and then read some of the comments uh, from where people are watching from and where they're tuning in from. It's fantastic all over the globe. So we welcome you. We love you. And, uh, and then last but not least, again, all of those in the military, we salute you. We thank you. Thanks for all you do. Can you bless them and welcome them? So you're here on the right Sunday because we're kicking off a brand new series. We're calling it Holy Spirit. We're going to take the next few weeks. We're going to dive in more about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does for the life of a believer. And uh, the Lord has really impressed on my heart to teach on this particular topic, so much so that we called an audible in our sermon planning. We were going in a different direction, but felt led to, to call that audible, to take the next few weeks and to dive in on the conversation about the Holy Spirit. Now, before we engage into week number one in this conversation, let, let me tell you two things that I think will, will help us kind of uh, better know the direction that we're going and kind of where, you know, the Lord would lead us. A couple of years ago, I heard a series of messages on the Holy Spirit by one of my favorite communicators of the gospel, Pastor Chris Hodges, who pastors Church of the Highlands in Alabama. Watching and listening to that particular series impacted me personally so deeply my perspective about the Holy Spirit and, and challenging me about why I believe what I believe. So much so that about a year and a half ago, when we were at Go Church, uh, I shared a series called The Holy Spirit. And so over the next few weeks, what I'd like to do is, is kind of look back on those notes some. Give you some fresh perspectives, a, new, a fresh word today, I promise you that. But looking back at some of those notes, because there's so much truth, uh, there's so much life, and there's so much power there. And so I'm excited to share that with you. Secondly is this, and you've heard me say this before, but I am profoundly aware of one of the beautiful characteristics of our church in both locations at both campuses. And that, that characteristic is our diversity. Aren't you glad that you're a part of a church that looks like heaven looks? Come on, that's a good place to say amen right there. But not only are we diverse by race, but equally as diverse in faith upbringings, meaning how we grew up in the faith. Uh, for example, and let's get some crowd participation at both of our campuses. I want you to raise your hand if you fall into any one of these categories by way of your upbringing uh, in church. If you grew up Baptist, raise your hand. Come on, Baptist, raise your hand. Wow, I grew up Baptist too. Come on, I'm so Baptist, I remember the potlucks every Sunday. Come on, somebody, bring them things back. That's what I'm talking about. How many of you remember the potlucks? All right, how many of you grew up Methodist? Raise your hand if you grew up Methodist. Do me a favor and just keep your hand up for a second, a little bit longer. You're wondering why I'm uh, kind of lingering here. It's because typically you don't see a Methodist raise their hand in church, and so we're glad. <laughs> Thank you so much. I see your hand. Lord bless you. I see your hand. Praise be to the Lord. How many of you grew up Presbyterian? Presbyterian. There's a, two of you. Praise God. All right. <laughs> Non-denominational. Where are you at? Yep, okay. How about this Catholic? Did you grow up Catholic? Raise your hand if that's you. Uh, charismatic Pentecostal. Raise both hands. Come on, somebody. How many of you didn't grow up in church? You just said, I'm just a good old sinner. You're probably the safest of all of us. You know what I mean? And you can tell by that simple illustration what I mean. Well, we are so diverse. And those different religious upbringings, or maybe you didn't grow up in church, what they, what they tend to do is, if not careful, they can create some differences around how we interpret Scripture. 
how we see Scripture, how, how we read Scripture. And if not careful, and again, if we're not careful and not take the word as the final authority, and we listen to simply man's opinion, I wish you'd give me an amen right there, by the way. But if we don't take the the word of God as the final authority, then there is confusion. There's disagreement. There's conversation. And I'm all about having conversation. But again, this is the final word right here. And one of the topics that seemingly often appears over and over again as a constant place of confusion is the topic of the Holy Spirit. Depending on how you grew up often determines what you believe and why you believe it about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, this confusion is not new to our generation alone. I mean, even back in the days of the Bible, Uh, They were confused and misunderstood and maybe even unaware of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, flip with me to Acts chapter 19. There are two verses here, and here's what Scripture says. The Bible says, while Apollos, now Apollos was just a, a Christian preacher, and Apollos was on his way to the city called Corinth. Paul, the apostle Paul, he took the road through the interior, and he made his way to the city of Ephesus. There Paul came across some disciples. A disciples is just another word for Christians. He, he found some Christians on his journey to the city of Ephesus, and he asked them this question. Here was the question in verse number two, and he said this, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I want you to see their response. They said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. You know, in church, I'll just be honest with you. I think that this is where so many people are today. So many Christians, heaven-bound Christians, saved, sanctified, but I wish you'd get filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't, Don't even recognize that there is a Holy Spirit. Nobody's ever told them about the Holy Spirit. And let me just tell you this, as your pastor as your spiritual tour guide, I, I do not want to, that to be said of us that I never taught on the power of the Holy Spirit, that I never preached on the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. I don't want that to be said about us. I don't want you to leave and somebody say, hey, do you know about the Holy Spirit? And you say, no, my, my pastor's never talked about that. Because your Bible mentions the Holy Spirit over 800 times from Genesis to Revelation, so there has to be some importance about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Nor do I want us to be at fault for some of the bad packaging and wrapping that goes around the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. In so many churches, the Holy Spirit is packaged in a way, it's presented in a way that is so strange and so weird. There's another word here. Sometimes it's just kooky as to what you see going on right in front of your very eyes. I'm telling you, I've been in some church services like that where I was scratching my head. The spirit was moving, but I don't know if it was holy or not. Uh, Here's what I mean, and you need to know this because this is the truth. There is absolutely nothing weird about the Holy Spirit. There is nothing strange about the person of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing kooky about the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, people are weird. Come on, you need to say yes better than that because you, you, you might be sitting next to one of them. I don't know. People are strange. There are some strange people in this world, aren't there? But not the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever been in a church service, you ever find yourself in a church service where people are acting in such a way that it is so wild and it is so crazy that you can't help but watch them behave that way, act that way, dance that way, shout that way, and all of your attention is on them, that is not the Holy Spirit. How do I know? Because the Holy Spirit will never draw attention away from himself. The Holy Spirit always moves in a way that draws attention to him. He gets all the glory. He gets all the honor. Come on, church. He gets all the praise, not man, not man. Because if you ever find yourself in a service and you can't help but watch somebody, that ain't the Holy Ghost. 
Because when the Holy Spirit is moving, you can't help but be drawn by your attention to him, offering him worship and praise. That's a good place to say amen right there, by the way. And this is my prayer. This is my heart over the next few weeks. And as long as the Lord tarries and he allows me to be on this journey in leadership here, that the more that we learn about the power and the person of the Holy Spirit, here is my prayer, is that you won't run from him, but you'll run toward him and to him. It's my heart. I don't want you to be afraid of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the enemy has done. The enemy, again, has packaged the moving of the Holy Spirit in such a way that, that people are turned off by the Holy Spirit. But there is nothing weird about the Holy Spirit. So over the next few weeks, we're going to learn more. And I pray that there is just some clarity that's presented so that we can have a better understanding of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. If you're doing okay, everybody say, I'm good. I want you to see this in Acts chapter 2. Just one verse here in this particular uh, part of the, the message. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, it is here that we read about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when the day of what? Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Side note here, by the way. Maybe God isn't moving the way that we desire for him to move because we're not in unity. When the Holy Spirit showed up, they were in unity. Oh, Jesus, you better help me, Lord. Jesus, take the wheel right now. They weren't complaining about the tile being pulled up. But they were more focused on a genuine outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If somebody's got that in their spirit, you need to say amen right there because that will help me move on. Let me give you a little history here about what's happening. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. See, Jesus himself was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin named Mary. In Luke chapter 1, two verses, verse 34 and 35, Mary had an, an angelic visitation. And the angel said to Mary, you are going to be with child. And Mary's response would have been like any of you ladies, what you talking about, Willis? She said, I've never even been intimate with a man before. And the angel said this, the angel said that the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin named Mary. Jesus came to this earth. He lived for 33 plus years, and at the end of his assignment, he sacrificed himself on the cross at Calvary. He died on the cross so that you and I, if we simply believe, we would have eternal, everlasting life. That, that's that's basic Christianity 101. But the story doesn't stop there. They, they buried Jesus in a tomb. They mummified his body. They rolled a stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. They, they strapped this, this to, uh, stone in place over the tomb. They, they placed and assigned soldiers to stand guard at the Roman, or Roman guards at the tomb. But guess what? It was Friday, but, but Sunday's coming. Because three days later... The same spirit that conceived Jesus is the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the grave. Come on, somebody help me preach real quick. And after three days, Jesus is resurrected. He's alive. Now, after this resurrection happens, Jesus walks on this earth for 40 days in a glorified, perfected body. Jesus is alive. And for 40 days, he's walking around. What is he doing, you know, for this like almost month and a half of this post-resurrection? He's, he's making appearances to thousands and thousands of people. So many of the eyewitness accounts after Jesus' resurrection are in your Bible. On one occasion, some disciples were eating dinner and Jesus just pops through a wall. What would you do if you're eating dinner and Jesus just showed up? That's a party, ain't it? Because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. He, he's performing miracles. 
uh, laying hands on the sick. They're being recovered. They're doing ministry together. He's, he's preaching the truth of the word of God. He's loving on people. And ultimately, he's leaving some final instructions. Then, at the end of those 40 days, Jesus ascended to heaven. There, he is sitting on the right hand of his father. He's using this earth as his footstool, and he's making intercession for people. Watch this. I want you to see this. Forty days after the resurrection, he walked on this earth. Then he ascends to heaven. Ten days after Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. Forty plus ten equals you're a little smarter than the first service, but that was weak. <laughs> so a total of 50 days, and we call that the day of Pentecost. As a matter of fact, in your calendar, Pentecost Sunday is always seven weeks or 50 days after Easter. Because we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. What does Pentecost mean? It means this. It comes from the Greek word Pentecostos, and it simply means 50. Now explain to me how a word like Pentecost or Pentecostal, that means 50, can be so scary for people. 50, ooh, run for your lives. I'll tell you how, because the enemy has taken Pentecostalism and he's wrapped it in a way to terrify people so that they wouldn't have a desire to tap into a power that they don't have on their own strength to keep them from pursuing their purpose and destiny that if they tap into that power, God could fulfill on their lives. I'm preaching better than you're helping me. Again, the devil has tried to keep people from understanding what it means about Pentecost. Let, let me show you some verses that kind of tie in everything that I'm talking about. Go with me in your Bible, Acts chapter 1. A few verses here. The Bible says this, that after the suffering of Jesus... So this is the, uh, the cross, it's, it's the tomb, etc. After he's resurrected, Jesus presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So again, Jesus comes out of the grave. He makes appearances, and people ask him, Hey, are, are, you, the, are you the Messiah? Are you the Jesus that we just watched? being crucified on that cross, and he shows them the, the nail-pierced hands. He shows them his side. He, he shows them that the holes are still there. And the Bible says this, that he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Now, I gave you the answer a moment ago, but many of you are thinking, well, Pentecost means 50, not 40. How did we get the other 10 days? Watch this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but what? You want to guess how long they had to wait? But wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. Watch this. He says, okay, guys, I need you to wait. I don't know about you, but for me it is so hard to wait sometimes. Jesus says, look, I've paid for our sins, but he says, this conversation is so much more than just a conversation about salvation. Now it's a conversation about sharing. I, I need you to take what you've seen, what you've experienced, what, what, what you have felt inside of you, and I need you to take that to the ends of the earth. This is what he says. He says, for John baptized with water. That, that's salvation, Anybody glad to be saved? Listen, if you're here today and you're not saved, you haven't confessed your sin, repented of your old life, given Jesus a try, just try him. The greatest decision I've ever made is putting Jesus first. Come on, church. He says, John, John baptized with water. That's a salvation experience, he says. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why? why? Why would God need to send us the Holy Spirit? Why, why would God desire to send to his people the Holy Ghost? I'll show you why. And this is like every charismatic Pentecostal preacher's favorite verse in all of the Bible, I think. Acts 1.8. 
he says, but here's why. You want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because you will receive, somebody shout power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. There it is again. He says, look, it's not just about salvation, but now it's about sharing. He said, I need you to go into Jerusalem. I need you to go to Judea. I need you to go to Samaria. I need you to go to the ends of the earth. And then today, here we are, 2018, he says, look, I need you to go to Sharpsburg. I need you to go to Germantown. I need you to go across the country. I need you to go across the water, and you cannot do that. By your own strength. You might think you can catch a southwest flight to the other side of the country. But when you get off that plane, what will be awaiting you? You'll need a power to tap into to help you accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish. This, my friends, is the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Great Commission. And he says, look, the magnitude of the Great Commission is far greater than you can do on your own natural ability. He says, so my Father has another gift that will give you supernatural ability. And when you tap into that supernatural ability, then you can go places you never thought you could go. You can do things you never thought you could do. You'll see things you never thought that you would be able to see. So hear me out. First and foremost... I am a Christian. That is my identity. I'm a Christian. That's my heart. But this church is a Pentecostal church. It is. What, what do I mean when I say that? That this is a charismatic Pentecostal church. Again, what the enemy has told many of you is, if you ever end up in that church, you better run for your lives. Why? Because they'll handle snakes. If you Google Pentecostal church, some of the first few images you see are idiots holding snakes. That ain't the spirit. That's stupid. Come on, church. Help me out. And Kimberly, I'm sorry for saying that word, but, but ain't nobody got time for that. You will never see me hold a snake. That ain't the spirit. What's wrong with these people from Alabama? Somebody pray for them right now. That's a joke. What does it mean to be Pentecostal? What does it mean to be charismatic? Let me tell you, being Pentecostal is not about wild church services. Being Pentecostal is not about goosebumps. Being Pentecostal is not about people falling over. Can the power of the Holy Spirit give you goosebumps on your arms and your neck? Absolutely. Can the power of the Holy Spirit cause people to fall over? Absolutely, but I'm telling you that the enemy has wrapped the Holy Spirit in a package to scare people away from something that you desperately need in your life. Spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal churches are not about running around. No, it's not about five-hour-long church services. It's not about swinging from the chandeliers. My God, we don't even own chandeliers. But that's what the enemy wants you to think. You want to know what the Holy Spirit is about? You want to know what Pentecost is all about? Write this down. It's about this. It is all about the power to make a difference. Come on, give me a better amen right there. It is about the power to make a difference. God desires that his people are empowered by his spirit, that his church is empowered by his spirit to do what we cannot do on our own. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you just read it. It gave us the word power. Power. I told you I grew up Baptist. Uh, we used to sing a song. It's called, There is Power in the Blood. Wonder-working power. 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 Wonder. Anybody remember that song? Power. That word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. Dunamis. This word means a force. It means a miraculous power. It means the explosive power of God. As a matter of fact, we get our English word dynamite from dunamis. And whenever you come into this place, we say, okay, God, I appreciate the fact that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, but I also recognize the reality that I'm not dead yet. That I'm still alive, so that must mean that there's purpose for my life. That must mean that I'm still on assignment in my life. 
That must mean that there's a reason that I'm here today. As long as I'm alive, then let me tap into the dunamis power that the Father has promised me. Because whenever we get connected to the outflowing of the Holy Spirit, whenever you tap into this explosive, electric, eruptive power, and you need this power, why? Because it's the only way you can make a difference. It's the only way. Watch this. When you get saved, thank God we're saved. The day that you confess your sin and you say yes to Jesus, on that day, you were put on assignment to make a difference in this world. And I, oh God, help me, because I don't want this to come across hard, but I can't tell you how many Christians just sit and do nothing. They sit and make no difference. That's not the purpose of your salvation. God didn't call you to get up on Sundays Put a jacket on, put a dress on, and come to church and sit. God saved you. The Bible says this in Revelation 12, 11, that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did on the cross, and the word of our testimony. That's how we make a difference. And in order to make a difference, we need a dunamis, dynamite, electric, eruptive power. Because God puts you on assignment. And the assignment that you've been assigned to you can't accomplish on your own. You can't do it. But with God, all things are possible. And I want you to lean in here real quick. Okay, both campuses, Go Church and here at South Metro. Every single one of us are invited to have our own, our very own personal Pentecost experience. All of us. Not for entertainment, but for empowerment. He invites us to have our very own personal Pentecost experience. And I think this is where we get stuck because for most of us, we can understand the cross. Thankful for the cross. We, we, we can see the cross. We can experience the cross. We watched movies in the, with the cross in it. We, we get Jesus. We've seen Jesus in the movies. Long blonde hair, pretty blue eyes. Come on. We, we can get the cross. We, we can see Jesus. We, we understand heaven. We, we hope that, that heaven is real. We'll even say, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. But where so many Christians fall short is figuring out the life that they're actually living. The purpose of why they're alive. Yeah, we get the cross. We understand Jesus. We get heaven. But why are you having a hard time understanding that this Pentecost thing applies to everyone today? It's simple. It's not scary. It's not strange. It's not weird. It's not kooky. God simply wants you to have power. He wants you to, oh, Jesus. He wants you to have power so that when your husband walks out on you and the kids, you can stand firm. He wants you to have power so when the doctor gives you a negative report, you can stand firm. Come on, help me out. He wants you to have power so when the finances fall apart, you can stand firm by faith. He wants you to have power so the next time the enemy comes at you and he fights you tooth and nail, throwing his fiery darts at you, you've got power to stand strong and firm in the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit and not throw in the proverbial towel, but hang on. Come on, church. You need to have power because none of us, not one of us are exempt from the pains of life, from the problems of life, from the challenges of life, and you need a power to persevere. And you need a power to push forward because the enemy is after your calling. The enemy is after your assignment. You may not think you're worth much, but let me tell you, you're worth a lot. And God is giving you this assignment, and you've got to have power. Make no mistake about it. God desires for you to have dunamis power. And you'll never truly, completely be fulfilled in your life until you discover that assignment and you tap into this power so you can accomplish the very thing that you're alive to do. This is why so many of you, you feel like you just go through the monotonous motions of every single day. It's a routine. God, God did not call you to live a routine life. God did not call you to be a machine. God didn't call for every day to look the same. God gave you purpose. And when your purpose 
meets his power, something supernatural happens. Come on, one more time, give Jesus praise. Now, there, there are a number of things that this dunamis power empowers us with. I only have time for a few, and I want to give them to you. Come on, everybody, write these thoughts down. Either journal with the notebook you came in with, take out your smartphone, uh, take some notes, borrow some lipstick from somebody next to you. Just write this down. The Holy Spirit empowers us first to share Christ boldly. To share Christ boldly. Uh, your Bible says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Uh, we, we need more Christians who are, are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. If we, don't, if we don't speak up and tell the truth, somebody else will speak up and tell partial truth. And that's how we see our, our culture and our country and our society falling apart because we need more Christians sharing Christ boldly. You know, I can't tell you how many times I have had individuals uh, ask me to come speak at their workplace. Come, come, come speak at this, you know, assembly of, of people. I'm thinking, look, God's given you power. God's given you power. I can't help but think how many times, and the older I get, the less I believe in happenstance and coincidence. I don't know. You, you thought you got a really good deal in your house in that cul-de-sac because God was helping you save money, but really your neighborhood needs Jesus. And so he moved you in as the new kid on the block. So that you could open your mouth and tell the neighbors around you how good Jesus is. You, you thought that, well, this always happens to me, that you ended up in the wrong line at Walmart and now you've got to wait 15, 20 minutes. And by the time you get to the checkout person, you're frustrated and they're frustrated. But maybe God set you up. Maybe God set you up so that when you get to the counter, you can share Christ boldly with a young man or a young woman who just needs to hear, you're doing a great job today. God loves you, and I'm proud of you. I know you think, God, why did you let me sit next to this coworker? They're going to drive me insane. Maybe because you're the only Jesus they ever see. You're the hands and feet of Jesus extended, and instead of you cussing at them, why don't you pray for them? Come on, church. Share Christ boldly. I'm going to stop preaching, and you're going to go to lunch. You will. And when you get there, you will be assigned a server. You will. I can't tell you how many times we complain about the service we have when really maybe God put us at that table in that section because that server needs someone to tell them about Jesus. Here's what, here's what Paul says. Enough of me yelling at you. Watch this. He says this. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And as a matter of fact, it's inscribed on the back of my iPad. I know you're looking at this thinking, that's the largest iPad I've ever seen. Well, I'm getting older and my vision is getting worse. So instead of making fun of me, why don't you pray for me? On the back of my iPad, these verses are inscribed. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Can I take just a moment here? I cannot tell you how many times that God has called me to preach, and I'll sit on that front row. My wife will tell you my hands will begin to get clammy. They'll start to sweat. This might be TMI, but I'm in it now, so I'm going to keep on going. I have to walk in and out of this sanctuary because i got to tinkle so many times because I'm terrified of standing in this pulpit. I feel like, Dad, you preached for 33 years at this church. How many times do you feel like I'm going to throw up if I have to get up there? But the moment my foot hits the platform, all of a sudden the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes up on the inside of me I open up my mouth and guess what I know you're sitting there thinking I wonder what he's going to say next so do I that's how this works because the anointing of the Holy Spirit something happens when my hand touches the microphone when I stand behind this pulpit all of a sudden there is a boldness and an authority that comes over me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet and open my mouth and I declare Jesus Christ is Lord come on and give him praise hallelujah Oh, uh, you, should, 
you should hear me. You should hear me rehearse this sermon over and over and over again in my bedroom when I sit in my office in between the first service and this service. My wife walked in my office. I had a cold rag on my head. She said, do you feel bad? I said, that's the worst message I've ever preached. I I told her, I said, I can't go back out there. She looked at me. She said, get up. No, I didn't really go like that. But that's how I feel right now. She might as well tell me, get up, boy, because the anointing of the Holy Spirit is on your life. He has anointed you to preach good news to the poor. Listen to me. I'm telling you, when you tap into this eruptive, explosive power, something happens. And when you taste it and when you feel it, nothing else will satisfy. Come on. Do I have any spirit-filled believers in the room today? All right, I got to move on. Woo-hoo. No, no, no. If you rest on JC's wisdom, you are in trouble. But it is a demonstration of God's power. The point that I'm trying to make is I get terrified to stand up in front of 1,500 people between two campuses every weekend. I can't imagine this. God would ever use somebody like me. What, what you see on the outside is, oh man, it's God doing something on the inside. The wrestling of I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not qualified enough. And God says, JC, I never call the qualified, I just qualify the called. When you tap into a power beyond your own, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can know what God has in store for you. Come on and give Jesus one more round of applause. All right, watch this. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live supernaturally. Hey, I'm all about praying for people. Bring your friends to this church. We'll lay hands on them, but never forget you possess power. You possess power to lay, to lay hands on your sick child and speak life. You possess power to lay hands over your marriage, over your home, over whatever it is you're walking through, and speak life. You don't don't need, listen, oh boy, oh boy, I'm in trouble now, Dad. You don't need to buy something on TBN, some holy water, or whatever other Christian network television to give you power. All you need is to open up your heart and to say, God, if you've got a power for me that I've not yet tapped into, here I am, Lord, fill me up. All right, watch. You don't, you don't believe me? That's okay. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, whoever what? Believe. Believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, but they're going to do even greater things. Greater things. He gives you the power to possess through the Holy Spirit to do greater things. Because, and then watch this, he says, because I'm leaving. He says, look, I'm out. <laughs> now he says, I'll be back. But I'm gone. Again, he's sitting next to God. His feet is propped up on this earth. Jesus is in a lazy boy recliner, y'all. And he says, because I'm going to the Father, you'll do greater things. i got to hurry through this, but I'm going to do it. Watch this. That there is a difference between Jesus in the flesh and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The outflowing of the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. So many times in my life I've considered how great would it be just to have Jesus in the flesh? Wouldn't life be so much easier if Jesus were in the flesh? Come on, I mean, if you had a problem, you'd be like, hey, Jesus, yes. I am here. Jesus, I've got, I've got a migraine headache. Could you help me? Thou head shall never hurt again. Wouldn't that be awesome? Have you ever thought about that? Okay, imagine that you were responsible for feeding every person in this room and all of our Go Church family, and all you had was a half-eaten grilled cheese sandwich and some Doritos. Now, you couldn't do anything with that. You couldn't feed the people on your road, let alone 1,500-plus people. But if Jesus were in the flesh, Not only do you get to eat the grilled cheese sandwich, which, by the way, there ain't no grilled cheese like a government grilled cheese. Come on, somebody, because that's how we grew up. He says, not only do you get to eat, but everybody gets some leftovers too. Because that's Jesus in the flesh. Imagine you're out walking your little dog, Fido. 
Fido gets off the leash. He runs into the road. A car runs right over Fido. Jesus! Fido is dead. Fido, thou shalt bark again. Roo, roo, roo. Roo. Imagine you got your little cat. Sprinkles. Sprinkles runs in the road. Same car. Runs over Sprinkles. Jesus! You know what Jesus would say? I ain't bringing that cat back to life. Uh-uh, no way. Let the dead bury the dead. Come on, church. He ain't bringing no cat back to life. Uh-uh, not on his watch. I'm going to have a few cat lovers mad at me. It's a joke, people. It's a joke. The problem is cats got attitude, don't they? They're like, <laughs> ain't nobody want to deal with that. But here's the truth. You do not have Jesus in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh is not sitting in the middle of your problem. Jesus in the flesh is not sitting in the middle of your marriage. Jesus in the flesh is not sitting in the ER room with you, not him in the flesh. But watch what he says. He says this. He says, uh, come on, screen, you better work now in Jesus' name. Come on back. Where are you going? What in the world? He says, it is good for you that I'm going. It's good for you that I go because if I don't go, then the advocate, watch this, the comforter, the counselor, the Greek word here is paraclete, not parakeet. Paraclete, it's like this, it's like if you got in trouble and you got paralegal counsel, somebody connected with you to help you walk through whatever you're walking through. Come on, church. He says, if I don't go away, then the advocate cannot come. But if I go, then I will send him to you. I don't know if you can comprehend this the way that I want to get it across. And that's not your fault, it's mine. But I'm going to do my very best. We've got it better than Jesus in the flesh. I know it seems grand that he would be there, but the Holy Spirit is with us because he sent him to us. And we can tap into this power. And when we do, everything changes. Come on, one more time. Love on Jesus. All right. The third thing is this, and we'll close with this one. The Holy Spirit empowers us to experience the fullness of God. The fullness, the, the completeness, the richness. This word fullness means this. Every last detail of God. Why, why do you think the enemy is fighting so hard to keep you from understanding and having your own Pentecost experience? Look, don't be content with just a piece of what God has. Don't be content with a percentage of what God has. I, I want all that God has for me because I need it all. Here, here's what Paul prayed. He, he prayed it like this. He said, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with, one more time, say power. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, I love this part, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, and I want you to see this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Hey, let me close out week number one of this series by saying this. What if there's more? What if there's more? Well, growing up, they told me, huh? What if there's more? Well, my grandfather said, no, 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 no. What if there's more? I don't believe it. It's up to you, but what if? What if there's more? And what if God wants you to experience the fullness? What, what if he wants you to experience the Father who loves you? The Son who gave his life for you? And the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you?
the fullness of God. In that, in that series of sermons that Chris Hodges preached, one of the things that he said that just got me, just got me. He said these words, and I want you to write them down. He said, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit makes me better than me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the purpose and the point. It's not about competition, and now because I've activated the outflowing of the Holy Spirit, I'm better than everybody. No, 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 no. It just makes me better than me. And let me tell you, that's true in my life, and I believe you'd say the same for you, that when you plug in with the Holy Spirit, something happens and you become better than how you used to be, how you used to live, how you used to act, how you used to talk, how you used to walk, how you used to behave. We're still a work in progress, but I'm glad I'm not who I used to be because the Holy Spirit makes me a better version of me. And that's my prayer. What if there's more, more? You know, oftentimes in church we sing this song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I think, uh, like me, maybe you've thought, like, Lord, you're welcome here in this building, in this church. I'm going to let our team sing this here in a moment. But I wonder if when you sing it this time, if you would say, God, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here inside of me to do what only you can do to let me experience that power so that I can be a better version than me. Go church family, we're turning this gathering over to your campus pastor, David Waldrop. He's coming and he'll have it from here. For those of us in this room, can you stand your feet all across this place? And can we have this one thought as they sing this song, what if there's more? And if there's more, then our response should be, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Here, come on, let's sing for just a moment and then we'll pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be Lift up your voice, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are well. Would you come flood this place, flood this place and fill the atmosphere? Your glory, God, is to be overcome, to be over. Come on, if you're comfortable, why don't you lift up your hand and let's sing this together. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are well. Would you come flood this place, this place and fill the atmosphere? Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be
Lord, even now I feel the, uh, you know, just the lies of the enemy. Here, here's my prayer, short, sweet, simple. If there really is more, if there's more, would you reveal yourself to us in the nights and the days and the weeks to come? I pray that for many of your people that in the middle of the night you wake them up with a hunger that Oreos and milk cannot satisfy with the desire to find out what more is. Yes, we thank you for salvation, but give us power. Give us power, not for entertainment, but for empowerment. Over these next few weeks, bring clarity to our conversations. Let us enjoy talking about this particular topic because it is life transforming when we tap into this power. So for your people, give them a desire to learn beyond Sundays. Let them study for themselves. Dive into scripture, dive into books, listen to podcasts, whatever it is. But may they go on this journey for more. And may you reveal yourself to them in a supernatural way. We give you all the thanks, glory, and honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And together, everybody said amen and amen. If the word has encouraged you today, can you let Jesus know by a round of applause? I want you all to sing it again. God bless you as you are dismissed.